This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. I've got a lovely little Deutzia here, Deutzia, Deutzia, um, and it's a lovely one called Nico, N-I-K-K-O, which I planted in mum and dad's front garden, must be 10 years ago, and it was bought as a little nine centimetre square plant from our friend Richard at Witten, uh, and I saw it and I just thought it was lovely, and after 10 years, this plant is, oh, four and a half feet high and four and a half feet across. I do nothing with it, and it's just cask, it's north-facing, it's at the front of their house there and it's just cascading through and it's absolutely wonderful it has got the most just lovely white blooms very simple wonderful sort of slightly maroon flushed calices at the back as well and i think what's so lovely about this one some deutsches can be quite stiff they can have quite a stiff habit this has a wonderful sort of gently almost lax weeping habit to it so it's lovely if it did get out of hand then what I would do is when it's finished flowering I would take out a third of the oldest stems down to ground level but after 10 years it's needed nothing doing to it at all it's absolutely wonderful and it will flower for a good all six six eight weeks I think because it's in that north spot it tends to last longer if it was in a sunnier spot I think it would go over a bit quicker but I just absolutely I just love it. I just think those flowers are, are beautiful. And I think, you know, we've got lots of hot, zesty colours here. Just have some nice, cool white. Both, uh, but all of those flowers are enhanced by the colour of the stems and the calyx, aren't they? Because yeah. that yeah. is just singing out to me. I mean, I'm just saying that's a classy looking plant. It, it, it is. It is. And I, I don't, I've never seen it in a nursery or garden centre. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I, I grow it. I mean, I'll have to bring you some cutting material when it's ready and you can do that would be wonderful. trays Thank and you. trays of cuttings. I mean, it's still in full flower, but you'd have to remind me and I will just cut a bunch, put it in a bag and you can you can prop it. So I think that'd be a really lovely addition to maybe some of your borders that have got roses in. Because imagine this, this lovely soft white shrub with all that rich burgundy rose foliage at this time of year. That would be a really nice sort of mix, wouldn't it? You know, just to sort of help. And the burgundy stems and the burgundy calyx and the burgundy roses all. Yeah. Yeah, sublime. It'd be a really sort of classy way to sort of set it off, wouldn't it? Which is nice. I know that these are in abundance in many gardens at the moment, but <laughs> um, and yet again, this is a plant which always breaks the rules. So, you know, I know Alan's talked about this before, but any book you read, it wants a nice, heavy, rich, moisture retentive soil. It wants a constant supply of water. This is growing at the bottom of mum and dad's garden. Uh, and our soil is very, very free draining. It's very dry. I think I, I dug down a spade and a half's depth this week and still can't get any damp soil. It's still dry. Uh, and these canassias are just doing brilliantly. Now, they're only flowering at about sort of two and a half, three feet. And I wonder if that's the cultivar that I've got, because I know at, at Allen's, they get absolutely huge. And I don't know which cultivar you've got, Al. Well, I don't know either because I've got several different ones. Um, but I mean, the lady came today and she said, I've beaten you with my with my camasses because mine are all finished. And I said, well, I don't think it's timing or climate. I think it is your variety that you It's cultivars, got. yeah. Yes, yeah, cultivar, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. glad you said yours are short, though, because I've grown them in my my sort of well, new three-year-old garden or whatever for the first time, and they're, they're very short. And I, I didn't know if it was that I got the wrong one or whatever, but at least you've also got the short one. 
Yeah, I think this might be, um, I think this might be Camassia Lignii. Is there a variety called Quamash? Uh, yeah, I think that's what I might have. Yeah, which might be, but, but they're, they're just lovely and they're just in a sunny spot in the bottom of the garden and they just look great. And that, that blue is wonderful, wonderful. And I know there's, there's a great collection of these. I think it's, um, I think it's Hare's, Hare's Farm Nursery up in Yorkshire, Stella, who grows huge collections of these. She supplied them all for Chris Beardshaw's garden at Chelsea a few years ago, but she's got copious amounts of these. But I think they're really star plants because they would just buck all the trends. You know, they, they, they will grow in very dry soils. They will grow in very wet soils. They've got wonderful strap-like leaves that don't go awful when they flower. You know, with some of these sort of late spring, early summer bulbs, the, the leaves tend to disappear. And then you've got these awful dirty leaves at the bottom, but the Canassias haven't at the minute. And I just love them. I think they're great. There's still quite a few flowers to come off here. Um, but I just think there's, there's something about them. I know that you've got whites in yours as well, Alan. I think those whites and those modes work really well together, don't they? Yeah, they do. I think the white ones are slightly later flowering as well. They have double flowers, or the ones we've got have double flowers. They're slightly later flowering, which is nice because, I mean, it, it carries on the, the interest. We grow them in a wildflower meadow, so they, they've got quite a bit of competition from turf. But they put up with it, and you're absolutely right. They do buck the trend, and they grow well, and they increase well. One thing I don't like what, what breeders are doing, I have to say they are breeding some pink ones and I've got a couple of pink ones mm. in the garden which I bought just to see what they were like and I don't like them why spoil something that is as good as a blue camassia yeah beautiful great great addition I agree I agree and I associate them with the meadow at East Ruston where they are super happy and so I think of them being in an open situation but I think when I was at Oxborough Hall the National Trust property last summer I walked sort of going to the toilet to be honest so I walked sort of it set back through some woodlandy area and they had camassias sort of under tree cover and they looked lovely in the in the sort of shade yeah oh well that's interesting so I've never thought of using them in shade thinking they were sort of like a North American prairie type yeah. bulbs that's quite interesting they were beautiful I don't know if they're you know maybe they were going to resent it and wouldn't flower long term but certainly on that particular summer they were looking lovely another example of this is there's that lovely little bronze flowered sort of the bronze leaves subshrub Caloragus erectus, Wellington bronze. Yeah. Yeah. But you grow it in baking hot sun. Yeah, I was chatting to Pamela at Plant Heritage last week at the plant stand on the stool, and she has always grown it in dry shade, and she says it's the most wonderful ground cover clump forming perennial for dry shade, and the leaves take on a very slight green tinge with that bronze, but it does wonderfully well. Now, that is a plant that I would never have thought that would have liked those conditions because I've always seen it being baked. But yet again, I'm surprised, every day's a school day, a plant which once again bucks the trend. And dry shade is such a, an awkward situation sometimes. So I think it'll be definitely one to use. When we were, we first got Haloragus erector Wellington bronze from, as a gift from the, um, the Botanic Gardens at Ventnor on the Isle of Wight. Simon Goodenough, who was the curator of that garden, gave Graham and I a tour of it. And I said, can I try a piece of that in Norfolk? He said, you can have as much as you like of it, my dear fellow, but it won't grow in Norfolk. Hmm. I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, always try, because I know we've got this changing climate. And I mean, the, the amounts of plants, as you know, Ian, that we grow outside in the garden here at East Ruston is phenomenal. We've always pushed the boundaries. Um, and, you know, it, it gets wider and wider and wider every year. I mean, look at the... Um, I can't remember the name. Oh dear, the climber from Australia. Harden Pardon Violacy. Yeah. Yeah. We put that outside and it, it's still outside after four years and flowering. It shouldn't do, but it is. 
We've just planted some more of them in your med garden because there were some that came from a certain area. And we've also planted some interesting passion flowers you had as well that we said we we're going to try it in the med garden as well. And I was thinking about Acanthus senii, that wonderful red flowered Acanthus. Now, we never thought that was going to do anything, but it's it's growing well in the med garden. It, we cut it back to a foot from the ground every winter. And at the moment, it's covered in wonderful new bronze foliage. And it's looking it's looking fantastic. You're doing the same thing in the sunk garden as well. Yeah, just just brilliant. And I think, you know, I think it's great just to keep pushing the boundaries. And if you can do it, just to try things and see how they work. I mean, you know, it won't be long, five years time, we'll be having Ioniums outside all year because they just won't need to go in anywhere, which will be a, an absolute wonder. An absolute well, there wonder. are a couple of Ioniums outside all year round in this garden and they're behind that little area next to the desert where we don't quite know what we're doing with at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Underneath the hedge where they're protected in dry soil. I mean, they have the cold, but they don't mind it. And there's Natriveria there too. Um, they were they the ones that seeded in because there were yeah. some Ioniums that seeded down the back there and there was this yeah. little rash of mixed seedlings that came up. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely. Um, I've got a lovely uh, shrubby Lonistra. I know we know them for winter, um, but this is one that came from old Tim Fuller about 10 years ago, and it's a Lonistra called Clavey's Dwarf. I suppose after 10 years, it's about six foot high and four feet across, and it's lovely. And what do I love about it? Well, you know, when, when you grow things like um, Viburnum maricea, you get that wonderful tearing and that layering, like sort of the, the wedding cake look. Well, this Lonicera does that as well. And it's also got the most wonderful flowers that top all those branches. They're not hidden. They just run across the top of each branch as it, as it layers down. Wonderful fragrance as well. Not too overpowering because some honeysuckles can be. Uh, but this is growing in a, in, a, in a south facing border stuck between two glass houses, actually, because uh, I, I ran out of space years ago at Mum and Dad's in their main garden. So I just started <laughs> putting things everywhere. And I think the plantsman's preference do still stock this, but it's lovely. Um, also, it's got good autumn colour as well. But I was thinking it won't flower all summer. What we're in now, we're in sort of May time. So it'll flower um, May into June, maybe late June, and then it will it will stop. But I was thinking it's one of those shrubs as a prime example for a late flowering clematis, one of the clematis viticellas to plant through or something. So that once it has done its thing, you've got something else coming on through it. And it's not something I do very often, but I think I'm going to start using viticellas in these sort of early summer flowering shrubs. But it's a real cracker, Clavey's Dwarf, because the scent is just lovely. And these flowers, I don't know if you can see, oh, they're close. Wonderful sort of soft pinky white almost. They've got slightly darker pink throats at the bottom. But yeah, a real cracker of a thing. And it's got that a very nice is. light habit. Yeah, what I was going to say, I mean, some of it might be ready now. So I'll I'll see what I can do. If not, um, yeah, very soon. But I think definitely one. You can definitely add that to your collection. Well, that would be, be very uh, lovely. Absolutely lovely. And the great thing about um, adding late flowering clematis over early flowering shrubs is of course that when the clematis are finished, you can cut all the top growth away and clear it away from the shrub and just leave the shrub in its pristine beauty to do its stuff early next year before the clematis takes over again. Yeah, I think that's great because you're not left with that awful issue where you've got lots of tangled stems. You've got to try and negotiate while you maybe try and prune this uh, this honeysuckle. I mean, I've, n I've not pruned it at all in the 10 years it's been there, but once again, thin out a third after flowering if you're worried that things might get a little bit a little bit out of hand and once again I've, I've never seen any garden centre or any other nursery apart from the plants with preference and it is it's a cracking thing it really really is right couple more couple more shrubs just to talk about if that's all right yeah um i've got um 
I'm sure I do this every time on this time of year, but I always have to talk about this coolness. Mm. I always have to, because, you know, the, the Chinese dogwoods are just absolutely wonderful. I know that uh, Mr. Gray's got quite a few of these. He's got a lovely pair of one called Venus, but this is this is Eddie's White Wonder, which I absolutely love. And I, I think I, I have to include it every time I'm on at this time of year. And even in the autumn, I include it because it has these wonderful orb-like fruits, which have got their wonderful red finish to them. But the one thing I'm finding with Eddie's White Wonder, uh, and I think this is one that Alan's also got growing by his potting shed, is it constantly needs its leader staking. You know, some of the, some of the corners produce, you know, really good, strong stems. But Eddie's White Wonder is lovely, excellent blooms, but I'm always having to retire leader in. Otherwise, so I want to get that nice sort of keep going up in those layers. Otherwise, the leader just tends to fall and then I get lots of shoots coming out from the back of it and then it messes the crown up. That's the one downside to it. Stunning autumn colours, wonderful, that lovely coloured banding that you get on these corner stems, these corner flowers in, in the autumn. And obviously once these bracts are finished, that little boss in the middle, which is so, so small at the minute, will form that wonderful big red strawberry-like fruit that you get on them. But, and, and they're just such good things. I, I find they're a little bit slow to get established, can take two to three years to get their roots down. Uh, but once they're down and they're settled, they're very, very happy. I think it's just that structure they have. Once again, it's that it's that wonderful layering and that overall structure they give to the garden. And there are so many cultivars of these available, aren't there? I mean, you yeah. know, there's, there's China Girl, which is also very, very good. And I noticed that people like um, Nigel, Nigel Dunnett, and people are, are trialing actually um, coppicing these when they're young to make wonderful multi-stem sort of woodland shrubs rather than trees. There's quite a bit of interesting work going on with these in terms of their, their sort of how they're treated culturally to get them into sort of you know interesting shaped plants. So I think they're absolutely absolutely fantastic. Um, right, I'll just do two more because we've got a bit of time. Uh, oh, rose. Obviously, well known to many, many people, well known to Alan because it's making its way across his office sort of gutter line beautifully. It really, really is. And it's one and this came from him probably all about 10 years ago as, as a plant that I think we'd we'd cropped. And it's Rosa Pompon de Paris, which I just love it. There's just something about it which is just so graceful and delicate and the fact it flowers so early and these wonderful, thin, malleable stems. I mean, I can't say more about it really. It's, it's just a cracking rose. And once again, quite a short season of flowering, but this is currently scrambling over the, the chicken run fence at mum and dad's. And the chicken run fence is just stock fencing, tensioned on posts, but it's just loving it, lacing its way through with honeysuckles. There's also rive speciosum up there. There's, there's late flowering clematis like tanguticas. There's all sorts of things. Because the reason I put the stock fencing in was because A, it was economical. And B, it kept the chickens in, well, quite importantly. And C, it gave the most wonderful support for climbers to just simply lace their way through. Oh, and also chickens don't like the wind. They get their ears burnt very easily. So having lots of plants around them gives them a wonderful sort of cosseted environment. I don't uh, know what you think, Al, but I think it's just a glorious rose. It really I is. I do too. It's, it's very strange, you know, because people probably don't realise that chickens are actually fact are jungle fowl. I mean, yeah. they, live, they live in the jungle, in a forest, in, in, in trees, and that's what they like. Going back to Pom Pom de Paris, that's an old Victorian variety. It's absolutely charming. Um, we've got it actually in, in the Californian border. And I took a tour around the garden the other day and somebody said to me, what's that pink flower coming out the top of that tree? 
<laughs> and it's pom pom de Paris that's gone up, and it's, I think it's in an alder or something. And it, it's oh, just how lovely! At the top. It does have. It, it does <laughs> tend to push these straight stems up to try and find new latches, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah. you can see this one's been hanging down the way that all the blooms. But it's just such a lovely thing. I was thinking actually, if anyone's got to sort of do things, I mean, it's an ideal rose for sort of using for wonderful table decorations mm. or for wedding flowers, or if you if you wanna. You could though, couldn't you? Be that is a great headdress, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about, about um, using them as table decorations, there used to be a dwarf version of Pom Pom de Paris that people used to grow as small standards. And when it was in full flower, you know how the Victorians used to have holes down the centre of a grand dining table and they'd bring like in cherries or peaches yeah. or something like that yeah. and pop them in and the guests used to help themselves. They also used to do it with Pom Pom de Paris as a standard. And I mean, that, yeah, maybe we could discover that standard again. I just... I would just wish it was there somewhere. We'll have to try and track it down because you are a great one for growing things that others don't. And I just quickly digress to that wonderful Dianthus Chomley Farum that you grow. Mm -hmm. And I, I look everywhere and there's, I think there's, there's two people that grow it. There's Stephen at Goose Green that grows it because Adam's given him stock to grow, to bring it on for you, for using in the garden. And you mm -hmm. grow it yourself. And, and I've got, I've got some, um, I've got a couple of plants that I bought online from somewhere, but that is it. So there's three people growing this wonderful dianthus that um, was being grown in, was it 16 or 1700? Ravening Mahal grows it as well. Ah, uh, good. Well, only because you gave them it. <laughs> yes, I know. But I mean, <laughs> well, it's, 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 the, it's the easiest way to keep a plant is to give it away. Give it, give it away. Give it and away. It's, it's unbelievable, that particular dianthus. And um, before we leave Pompon de Paris, yep. uh, what I love here, we put one to grow up uh, a kind of a buddleia that's always kept in check. So it's got its kind of gnarly stem and it climbs up towards an extremely blue ceanothus. And I'm not sure uh. which ceanothus, maybe it's, it's huge. That's the only problem is that the pompon de Paris has to try and reach the blue. What a lovely combination though. It's such a rich blue ceanothus and that purpley blue with the pink of that rose is, um, is lovely. I just, I want it to do your tree thing and get right up there so that you've got lots of the pink with the blue rather than sort of having to look at it at the right angle to get the combo. Oh, how lovely, how lovely. <laughs> I've got one more show and tell. And I know I have talked about this before, but it's because it's these plants at the minute, which are a part of the Aureliaceae family, are really doing their thing. And this is Trochodendron Aureloides. And it's a plant which I've loved for... Well, when I saw it 25 years ago at Great Dixter, and I really wanted it then, I think in the end I was I, somehow. I think in the end I managed I managed to get plugs of it from um, wholesale from Bob Brown years and years ago, and grew these little plugs on. And it's just the most wonderful thing for shade. It's the pinwheel tree, as you can see from its wonderful pinwheel of of, of, of leaves there. But all these Aureliaceae at the moment are just putting out the most wonderful bosses of new foliage. I've got a couple of Schefflerers in the garden as well, Scheffler Taiwaniana and other things, and that's doing it at the minute. So I just put that in because I just love the way you get this old foliage which is slightly speckled with these sort of slightly sort of reddish little pits and, and freckles, and then this wonderful new growth on the, on the top. Great for a shady spot. I know Alan's got it in the North Garden at East Ruston. It's a, a lovely thing. Every year I think I must collect seed from his and we should sow it and grow it because I think it'd be a really great seller and every year I forget but there's just something so nice about it I'm going to snap that top out because I just love that structure 
of yeah. leaves is absolutely fantastic isn't it and you know it's not for our benefits so it can absorb as much light as possible and it can cope with windy conditions but if you look at that there's not a single leaf that overlaps another so every leaf gets the sun but it's just a cracking thing it really is uh, I've had it in the garden for well I think I've had it in the garden for 15 25, 15 years uh, and it's about sort of uh, five foot high and four feet across but I just think it's a an absolute cracker if you can find it it's well worth looking for Fabulous. and that's my, that's my show and tell what wonderful show and tell as ever i've just realized the west facing garden is uh creating a little bit of a sunny situation oh, in the back of my camera so i'm just gonna nice. move around a little bit so that i'm not completely blown out by the uh the evening sunshine ian you never ever fail to uh to bring oh. along copious fantastic inspiring quantities of show and tell well you're very kind it's just that i do sometimes think that I've, I've talked about these before but hopefully there'll be new people watching and they'll be like oh well these are interesting things you know so I think one day our lot will do show and tell and we ought to watch him do show and tell because that would be a real treat. Plants, it would. that is, plants. Well, Pottage, Matt Pottage and I, we're, we're still after a show and tell of his wardrobe. Um, never mind the garden. That is a thing of beauty, his wardrobe, a thing of beauty. Can we have can we have um, can we have it in sections? So we'll have one episode for jackets, one for shoes, no, two for shoes. Because uh, <laughs> there are so many. Summer and winter. <laughs> one episode for glasses, one for watches. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Well, you've given me lots of food for thought and lots of flomo, Ian. Flomo, oh, of course. <laughs> Life's full of it, thought. Life is full of flomo. Well, this is the lovely thing about having someone like Ian on the podcast. Let's be honest, most people who are invited onto Talking Dirty, it's because flomo is a way of life. That fear of missing out you get about a fabulous flower or a plant that you simply must have. It's it's a need. It's not just a want, it's a need. Um, and I mean, the podcast, someone's cat meowing, by the way. Yes, it's mine. The Bengal boy. Yeah. <coughs> the cat wants to get in on the action as well. He's got some flomo. Um, but um, yeah, we this podcast gives me a lot of flomo and the, the world in general and Instagram. Alan Gray at East Ruston Old Vicarage on Instagram. You have been posting, I think, more and more things. You've obviously been getting lots of inspiration from the garden. And the other day you posted Rapithamnus spinosus which was looking very nice with its blue flowers. You talked about its blueberries and somewhere I was reading, I tried to keep the page on my phone uh, to read Burncoos um, talking about uh, its myrtle-like evergreen shrub, dense habit, gorgeous fl blue flowers, rather less gorgeous needle-like spines. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say to you, it's an absolute brute to do anything with, but I have, I have tied it to the wall and I did give it a nice little sort of sheltered spot because it's it's sort of slightly grown over by um, I think there's a honeysuckle and there's a banksia rose net near it, mm. and they they do give it a lot of shelter. So we'll see whether I get berries or not. But this sounds rather good to have the beautiful flowers and the beautiful berries. The more I read about it, wasn't so sure about the spines, but I did have instant flomo when I saw it on your Instagram. So that was something I registered recently. Um, Ian, where are you at with your flomo? Oh, well, it's a never-ending list. I've got a garden the size of Alan's drawing room, so my my my, my space is quite my space is quite limited. But um, I uh, I had to pay a visit to my accountant this morning, and she's got the most wonderful garden that wraps around that that her house and round the road as well. And it was a plant which I I knew, but I just saw it using a different light, and it was a wonderful shrub of Rosa moesii geranium. With it has those wonderful, lovely sort of flagony hips on in the autumn, but it was in flower with its rich 
sort of carmine burgundy flowers, which were gorgeous. And then it was, it had Euphorbia Caracas near it. It had Cerinthi Major Purpurascens, and it had Aconitum Bressingham Spire coming up just with the foliage as well. And I just saw it with those plants. I just thought, I need to plant more sort of these wild shrub roses because I say I've run out of space here, but there's still a couple of acres at mum and dad's, which I'm gradually sort of planting up with shrubberies. And I thought, how nice would it be to plant some groups of really old shrub roses? Just let the grass go quite meadowy around them, cut it back once a year, maybe add some bulbs through as well for the you know, plant for the autumn, ready for the spring, and just just let these roses. And I, I think maybe it stems from when I was at Sittinghurst and saw them sort of growing out in the orchard, these old roses with the sort of meadowy grass around them. And yeah, Rosamoyesii geranium is one that I'm definitely going to get a few of and plant a group of them. So I think it's a plant which I've overlooked and actually would be a great one to have. Uh, tell you what, she's a spiny little devil. <laughs> yes, I, she looked like that when I walked past her, yeah. It's a spiky yeah. flow-mo today. Can I ask you, did, did you have anything to do with this garden you've just been talking about? No, no, I didn't. I didn't at all. <laughs> this, sounds like, this sounds like a plantsman's garden. Well, I know, I mean, Frances has got some lovely stuff growing. She's got all wallflowers, which have seeded about, Cerinthi, which has seeded through as well, alliums, she's got areas of, of roses, she's got Trachycarpus palms in there as well. Um, she's got Rosamundi, which she cuts down to four inches every winter, and it's formed this wonderful ground cover mat of foliage, and it's now starting to flower about eight inches, which I thought was a lovely idea as a a wonderful ground cover thing. I think she is quite keen on her plants. I've gone to get some bits off her that she wanted rid of, some golden bamboos and stuff and things. But yeah, she's a lot of it is nature doing its thing. But there's definitely, she's definitely got an eye there for combining foliage, flower and form, which I think is really good. Out of interest, Ian, did you pick your accountant by their likelihood to give you plants? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I picked her because she's darn good. Uh, <laughs> and no, but she, oh no, it's because, um, Francis also does all the sort of bookkeeping for various garden clubs I used to belong to. So, uh, yeah, she, but she's very good at that. But, yeah, she, she's got some, some lovely stuff. It was just the way that the rows and those plants were put together. And it's just simply, she's got a few little grass paths running through, but it's all very relaxed and informal, and there's something very pleasing about it. Yeah. Wonderful. Rosa Monday, my granny used to grow that. Um, and she used to grow up behind... She, um, a typical sort of that you've been to my granny's old house in i have yeah there, was, there were two box hedges leading towards the front door from the road with the pedestrian gate uh, a lilac was on on the on one side of the gate and the, the, the box hedges and then two rows of rosamundi behind the box hedges and she used to get cross because the the rosamundi used to suck her into the box hedges uh, yeah yeah, it's a lovely rose though, isn't it? But I think that's what I think probably France has exacerbated its suckering by cutting it back hard. But I yeah, thought yeah, no. if you've I mean, got the space, sounds... for it, what a wonderful ground cover. Exactly. It sounds a wonderful way to, to, to deal with it. Yeah. And they, I do remember seeing that at uh, Kipsgate Court. They had two rows of it leading leading to a, um, um, an arch of silver leafed hornbeam, I remember. Oh, I mean, they beautiful. trained this tree as an arch and it just looked lovely. Yeah, lovely thing to do. Mm. So we've had two prickly flomos so far, Alan. What yeah? What's yours, Mr. Gray? I don't know. I mean, I I get my I get I just sit and talk and listen. And the and the wise old bird, the less he spoke, the more he heard. And you know, I'm to Lilisra, I want that. Clavis dwarf, Deutsche Nico, both of those I've written down. I mean, they just seem to be such good plants. And I'm I'm wondering why 
we don't see them if they're such good plants. Um, I mean, Ian's grown them, and I suspect the reason is because they need patience to start with. Um, mm -hmm. And they need probably three, maybe four years before they start to look plumptious, if you like. Um, so, I mean, both of those are on my, on my list. I'm always wanting to expand my numbers of erysmums because I think they're such wonderful, wonderful plants. And I think that if we get one or two like red jet, which will seed, um, I think we may, if we get them in close, in him in close proximity with others, we may possibly find that they're, they're hybridizing. I mean, it's Ruston, um, it's, what's it called? Royal. Ruston, Ruston Royal. Ruston Royal is one, a seedling that occurred here. And it's much bigger than Bold's Mauve. It's got bigger flowers, bigger leaves, mm. a greater stature, um, and it's paler in colour. I just think that we, you know, we shouldn't count them out. I mean, Ian's absolutely right. These are the plants that we should be growing in times when we've got to worry about watering plants. And I mean, it, you know, it seems to get worse and worse. Last year was a very, very dry spring. This year has been an even drier spring. And even with all the rain that we've had in Norfolk recently, here on the edge of the of the county at East Ruston, one mile from the sea, we've had very, very little rain, just enough to settle the dust. It's not enough. No, and I've been in Norwich a lot more recently. And whenever I speak to my other half, if it's raining here, it's not where I live, which has been terrifying mm -hmm. while I, I haven't been there to look after my garden and look after the pots and things. But, you know, certain parts of the garden, like Beth Chateau would always say about her garden in Essex, just so little rain, even if other parts of the country are getting rain, it seems to miss us. Mm -hmm. Well, we might get to the stage where more like the, the Mediterranean, might we, when you have, you know, your main season of plants will be spring, and then there'll be autumn. And in the middle of the summer, the, I mean, take Beth Chatter's dry garden. When we had an exceptionally hot wind, hot summer, uh, the plants estivated. They, they went below ground and they rested while the heat was on. And they came back when the autumn rains began. Mm -hmm. We may get to this sort of pattern too. Who knows? Yeah. But it's, it's always worth considering the plants in my front garden, because to be perfectly honest, when I moved in, my hose didn't reach that far. So when I was watering stuff in, it was all by hand. And I thought you're all going to be drought plants so that once you're established, I don't have to water you. And it has, you know, there are certain things that haven't done well, but on the whole, and it's not perfect by any stretch, but a lot of euphorbia and rosemary and load, the bronze fennel is way too happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of taking yeah. over but it, it works you know you can have a really pretty garden um without watering it, it, bear, it things only get watered when they're put in and you know while they're establishing and it never gets any other moisture and it's fine and do you grow the mediterranean fennel the giant mediterranean fennel no i don't there's a seedling here in a pot for you you should grow it because <laughs> yeah, it does its stuff and then it estivates and it does it naturally in this country so it's ideal this wonderful, great statuesque plant. I've got one. I can see it out of my window now. It's about 10 feet tall. There's wonderful lime yellow inflorescences on the top. It then it does that. Then it gently dies back and it goes underground for the rest of the summer. So you can plant other things around it to take over for the rest of the season. And what I love about the fennels is I want height in my front garden. But mm. the front garden it, it is our front window. You know, that is pretty much the space I've got to play with. And we always walk around walking the dog. And there's a wonderful um, shrub of Daphne Balua 
that every spring I cover and it's right in front of someone's window and we have the opposite reactions. Every time I see it, I say to Peter, oh, isn't that wonderful? And he says, I have no idea why they've got that in their front garden. It's blocking <laughs> their window. <laughs> so the great battle for me is to achieve height without blocking any light. And that's where the fennels come in because they give me all of this lovely sort of backdrop to the plants, the lovely foil, but they don't really stop any of the light getting through the window. So I do arguably have too much now, but at least they're serving their purpose. <laughs> so bring on your your fennel Alan I can uh, I can increase my sort of wall of fennel at the back of the front garden well only if he promises to marry you <laughs> I'll let him know <laughs> or I'll tell him if he doesn't marry me I'm going to put a Daphne in front of the front window <laughs> just block the whole lot <laughs> or maybe three who knows <laughs> Ian, we mustn't leave it too long before you come on again. It is always oh. the most joyful experience. Thanks ever so much. You're lovely, you two. It's a pleasure working with you as always. <laughs> and you too, dear boy, you know that. I mean, I, I have to say that Ian is, I do see Ian a couple of times a week. And I mean, we have a cup of coffee together and it's, hello, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you're all right. Yeah. You know, and then suddenly something will tr trigger between one, of a two, one or either of us about plants. And we start talking about plants and it is just so, oh, it's, it's life enhancing. I just love it's it. It's lovely. I'm it's very so lucky exciting. as well. I'm very lucky to be able to do that. It's a real honour. There's gardeners up and down the country that would love to have a coffee with Alan and discuss plants. So I feel very honoured. <laughs> no, there are. It's true. You know, there'd be people that would queue up for that. Never mind FOMO. I'm having FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, there's you always, me in. Thunder, there's always a little list of jobs as well. It's, it's not all <laughs> sweetness and light. Don't you worry. It's a, it's a, it's a time of compromise. <laughs> Can I just add one one little thing to that? Ian says that it's full of jobs and everything else. The other day he came in, we were having a cup of coffee, chewing the fat, talking about plants, and he said, what do you, anything you want done? And I said, yes, and I reeled off a list, and he's writing them down, writing them down. And he said, and for the afternoon? <laughs> we love it. We absolutely love it. We're in tomorrow, actually, emptying, emptying tulip pots out, getting ready for summer plants. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> Well, enjoy. And until next time, happy gardening. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Hey, 4Ds here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs> <laughs>